Well, today we are covering the second sola, sola fide, and there's really a particular reason why they're in this order. Um, there's a few different ways to organize them. You could put sola scriptura first because it's the foundation from which you can prove all the other points. But the reason we're going through them in this order with sola, sola gratia and then sola fide, uh, we're going in that order because that's the order that they arose in the arguments and the debates between the, the ref, reformers and the church teachers of the day. And so, <clears throat> you know, you could start with sola scriptura and then you could move to Jesus as in sola uh, solus Christus, as in we're saved, we, you know, we have to stand on scripture, it has to be Jesus, how do we get there, grace, faith, and then for his glory. You can, you can organize it a few different ways, different texts, different Protestant Reformation texts that I've been looking at, uh, textbooks, rather, have, have organized them different ways, and so I like the way that we're moving through them, and I've got this cool little graphic that has them in that order, so it, you know, it seemed to work. Today is the third week of our series, but we're talking about the second sola out of the five because we had an introduction. Today we're talking about faith. We're going to look at what faith is, what faith isn't. We're going to examine how we operate in our lives, whether or not we're living in faith. We're going to see that it's not enough to just make a claim of having faith, as in I can't just stand up here. If, if I stood up here and I said to you, I'm a cheeseburger, you, you know, you would think I was insane. And, and really bad at telling jokes in the middle of the introduction to the sermon. But you would understand that I can't just claim to be a cheeseburger and then that makes me a cheeseburger. Okay, I can't just claim to be president of the United States. I have to have been elected, installed, and you know, sworn in. So you can't just make a claim of faith. We're going to look at all those things, what faith is, what it isn't, what the scripture says about it, and... We're going to look at why it's necessary not to just have a claim of faith, but have true faith. This is my favorite text in Ephesians with respect to this particular topic, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Hopefully by the end of this series, you'll have this memorized if not, if, if you don't already have it memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith, okay, so last week we covered grace, this week we're covering faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Verse 8 is our key verse in this passage that we're going to look at today. If you wish to turn there, we'll spend a little bit of time here this morning. The first portion of this scripture says, For by grace you have been saved. Now, first of all, Paul is, is writing to the entire church at Ephesus at once. So every time you see you, it's the you all. It's, he's writing to everyone. And in that everyone, verse second half of verse 9, no singular person may boast over the others in that group. So here he's saying, for by grace you have been saved. That is, it was God's grace that you were saved. And then you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Our question this morning is, what is the word that, in the phrase that not of yourselves, what does the word that refer to? 
Does it refer to your salvation? Does it refer to grace? Or does it refer primarily to faith? In one sense, because they're all in the same two phrases, for by grace you have been saved and saved through faith, those two phrases are related. So that not of yourselves, the, the, the pronoun that is a relative pronoun and it's pointing to something. And it's, it is pointing to the entire phrase, your whole process of salvation, but what, he spe- what Paul specifically is referring to is the faith is not of yourself. As in the faith did not arise from you. As in, if you have the ability to look upon the person of Jesus, this is my main point this morning, if you have the ability to look upon the person of Jesus and the work of the cross and believe that it is on your behalf that he died, that is what we call faith, and that faith, that ability has been given to you. It didn't come from you. So what faith is? Faith is is an evangelical grace. Now, when I say an evangelical grace, I just mean it's part of the evangel. It's part of the gospel. It's always been part of the gospel that the faith that you have, your belief in God or your belief that Jesus existed, came to this earth, was the son of God, died, lived perfectly, rose again, etc., etc. Your ability to believe that is what we might call a simple definition of faith. And the church has always taught when using only the scriptures alone, that your faith, your ability to believe that, has been given to you. It didn't come from you. It didn't come from your sin nature. Last week, we were looking at Martin Luther, and we, we, realized, or we, we noticed how he realized that none of his righteous works that he was doing could ever amount to any actual righteousness because they were done from a sin-filled heart, and they were done from the express motive of getting out of trouble with God instead of honoring and worshiping and glorifying God. And so we, we saw how Martin was faced with this, uh, you know, insurmountable mountain in, uh, or insurmountable obstacle that, that he could not produce faith out of a, a heart that was filled with sin. Martin, Martin knew that his heart was full of darkness, and so he knew that he couldn't ever do anything to please a holy God. And so we, the church has always taught that, that faith is an evangelical grace. It's handed to you by God. The grace of God that's given to you for your salvation is the ability to have and sustain faith. And so faith in one very simple way, an easier word, a better word that we've been researching in our theological studies with Ray Nethery, in this, lack, in this last session, we looked at how faith is better described as the word trust. As in, my, my faith is not just an intellectual belief that these things are true, but faith has another dynamic. You have to first believe that they're true. If you don't, if you don't believe that Jesus is deity, you, you, know, you can't move on from there. You have to believe the things of the gospel, the things that we said this morning in the creed, you know, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, all of the different tenets that he was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, etc., etc. All of those things about the, the, the passion and the death of Jesus, you have to believe all of those things, but you don't just intellectually believe them. You also trust that Jesus is the one who will save you. So the idea is that you are looking upon the cross you are coming to a realization, how did this man get here? 
Well, he was born, he claimed to be and is the son of God. He suffered, took the penalty for our sins, both in his scourging, his beating, his trial, and finally on the cross. And while looking upon the cross, you come to a decision. You come to a decision to either believe the facts of how he got there are true and then claim it for yourself, for your own account, or you look upon that and scoff and don't believe and you turn away or you, or you see it and you think that's nice and good and I'll join the Christian, work, uh, Christian religion and then you continue to operate trying to uh, make yourself righteous before God. Faith in Jesus is the trust that he, his payment on the cross is sufficient for your sins. And in your account is the, the unearned, unmerited, absolute, infinite favor of God through the work of the atonement. It's trust. Three elements of trust that applied to this kind of trust. Realizing that your works will not work. Everything that you do before you come to Jesus is, a heart, is done out of a heart that's filled with sin. And so before you come to Jesus, you have no ability to do anything that's right before God. That doesn't mean he love you, loves you or, or doesn't love you. It just means that in, his, in the way that God looks at you before you come to Christ, because you are a sinner, because you live in, born in, sustain in iniquity, God, God cannot be favorably disposed to you. And so the message of the gospel becomes exceedingly clear that God is favorably disposed to you. And that was displayed by Jesus on the cross, taking your penalty. And so you looking upon the cross are able to be restored to, to righteousness with God. So it's not just realizing that your own works will not work. All of, your, all of the stuff that you do in trying to earn belief or earn your salvation, that, that doesn't work. It's also forever trusting that one person to save you, not just in that moment to save you from your sins, but to keep you and sustain you for all time. And then finally, believing that his payment is sufficient totally. It's not just sufficient for the, the sins that you commit before you know of him. It's sufficient for the sins that you commit after you know him. It's sufficient for the sins that you commit in the middle of committing those sins. His payment is totally, absolutely sufficient for someone who has true, authentic, saving faith. Now, the question is, what is authentic faith? What is real faith? We talk about certificates of authenticity. If you're, if you're staying up late at night and you see a commercial about gold coins and you want to buy a U.S. $20 gold coin, it will, it will be shipped to you with a certificate of authenticity, which is basically a piece of paper with a little seal that says, you know, U.S. Mint of Chicago. Uh, you know, there's no mint in Chicago. U.S. Mint of, you know, some other company that just was authorized to make these coins, and they're not really real coins. And then it, you know, it, it tells you that this is a novelty item, but it's a real novelty item. That's what, that's, anyway. You guys need to watch more TV, apparently. But this certificate of authenticity the, we won't get into it fully this morning, is the Holy Spirit, as clearly taught by the epistles of Paul. But the, the message of the gospel, has to, there has to be something that's, that happens in you for this thing to be real. It's, going to church and joining a church club is not 
authentic saving faith. So here's what faith isn't. Faith isn't hearing about church, starting to attend church, and then doing things, well, I got to get myself right. It's not at all saying, you know, I'm going to start fasting more. It's not, here's what faith is not. Faith is not simply reading your Bible more. It's not only praying more. It's not worshiping more. It's not spending more time in devotionals. It's not visiting holy sites like IHOP Kansas City. <laughs> That's a joke because I make, I actually still make pilgrimages. I'm, I'm sorry. But it's not, it's not doing, you know, it's not going to conferences. It's not even sharing your faith with unbelievers. Faith is not works. Faith results in behaviors and repentance of character and heart. Faith results in things, but faith is not the doing of things. We're going to look at how the scriptures plainly teach us that. Verse 9, again, in that passage, it says, your faith, it says, not a, a result of works. What was not a result of works? Your faith being given to you was not a result of works. So the, it, let's, let's go back to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 for just a second. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God. And faith is not of yourselves. And faith was given to you. All three things are true. Faith is from God. Faith is not from yourself. And faith was given to you. And they're all, they're all true together and all true individually. Not only did God give you the faith, and the faith didn't come from you, but it also was not given to you because you did something, okay? It's not just that it didn't just come from you, and, it's, it, and it is that God gave it to you, but God is not a respecter of persons that he should honor your deeds. So it's not just that faith doesn't just come from reading my Bible. I don't get more faith. I don't get stronger faith from reading my Bible. I get stronger faith from believing more. Now, you can believe more, and it is true that primarily you do believe more by the hearing and preaching of Scripture, but if you're just sitting there and you're just going through your task of reading your three chapters a day, and it's not striking your heart with more revelation, you're probably not getting all that God has for you in that grace of, of the Scriptures. Believe me, I'm totally not advocating stopping reading your Bible. You hear by the Word of God, and that does... a bring about faith, but the work of reading your Bible, you know, in charismatic circles, it's easy for us to revert back to a works-oriented mindset, which keeps us depressed because we always feel insufficient, and we don't realize that we're counted as, as worthy when we were unworthy. So you do not grow in faith by doing more works. Now, some of those works can have the effect of inspiring you to live righteously and things like that. I, at no point am I saying that you should stop reading your Bible. In fact, you should read it more. But it's not going to earn you salvation. I just want, I want everyone to be clear on that. You might see Jesus for the first time while, while you're reading it, but the simple act of, of reading it and moving your eyes over the pages without anything happening beyond that, it's, God's not watching you to make sure you put in your Bible time today. He loves you and he wants you to read his word. But if you start reverting back to, I can't approach the throne of God because I've sinned, and therefore I need to make penance by reading my Bible, that's, that's, you're going to quickly fall away. Ask me how I know. 
Romans 4, 4 through 5. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as, as favor, but as what is due. Okay, so now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. This is one of my favorite verses in the first half of Romans. Um, what is due? Here's the illustration. That phrase, what is due? At the end of verse four, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor. What's favor? Favor is increased uh, blessing or increased, it's, it's money in the bank. Money in the bank, okay? It's not, you don't get more money in the bank by doing works. It says, but what is due? So the phrase, what is due, it, you might read in another translation um, or, or another way to get this idea of the phrase, what is due, is that which is natural. As in, Paul is saying here to the Roman church, the church in Rome at the time, he's saying that your, your doing of things is simply natural. It's what is due. It's what, is, it's what happens normally from, from, a, faith, from a true faith. Um, an illustration might be dropping a brick. If I drop a brick, what is naturally going to happen? It's, it's naturally going to fall. Someone else said your toe might hurt. Well, that's, that's quite an extrapolation. I don't know how we got there. But if I drop a brick, it'll, it'll simply fall because gravity, will, gravity is already currently acting on the brick. And as soon as my hands stop resisting gravity, it, the gravity will continue to operate on the brick and it will instantly fall. Same thing happens with every other object. If it's lighter than air, if you remove the air, even those things fall. But it's natural for a person who has authentic saving faith to want to know God more and to want to do righteous works, but that person needs to know and, and usually does understand completely, or at least to the point where they're not reverting back to a works-oriented way of approaching God, that in that moment in that he or she is doing their Bible study or their worship or their prayer time or whatever they're doing, they know that they're just wanting to meet with their father and worship their creator, not, you know, having to earn his approval. The second phrase in verse 5 is the understanding that we were dark, completely dark, filled with sin before we came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The second phrase in verse 5 is, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. The work of God is to believe in the one who he sent, him who justified the ungodly is probably one of the most precious phrases. And until you understand that you were saved completely on his accord, by his decision, you really won't break through into freedom or joy or worship or anything. Because if you got into the kingdom by your own works, then you have to stay in the kingdom by your own works. Does that make sense? Your faith is credited as righteousness. Your faith in trusting the work of Jesus, that it was done on the behalf of your, your requirement, what he paid, what you owed, that understanding that is, is key. Trusting in works won't work. Trusting in your seeking God is not enough. I want to I just hammer this home because as soon as you get free from this, you will just 
grow in the Lord amazingly quickly. Isaiah 64, 6, for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Here he's not just saying that we're this dirty, bloody rag with excrement on it or whatever you want to think about to describe that phrase, filthy rag. That's what our righteous works are before we are born again, before we are redeemed by, by Father God. And before that happens, works from an unregenerate heart are completely filled with sin. Now, you have to understand that I'm, I'm not talking about works that are done from a person who's been born again. I'm talking about works that are done from an unregenerate heart. So the question comes, what are we supposed to do? If we just found out that all of our attempts at seeking God have been failed, uh, if, if before for unbelievers, for those who don't really know what the gospel says clearly, you couldn't share the gospel with a friend, if, if, if what I'm saying is true, that, that unregenerate works cannot contribute to salvation, if that's true, what do we have to do? Well, this situation happens in the gospel. In John 6, 27 through 29, Jesus is teaching, and he says this in verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Now, we know through the Song of Solomon and other passages in uh, in the Psalms, as well as some phrases in Ephesians and, and other places, that the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance. It, Song of Solomon talks about it as a seal on our heart and a seal on our arm, that the Holy Spirit is given to believers. And so here he's saying that Jesus also has the seal. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and here that's a key portion of what's going on here, that Jesus is enduring and doing this work of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, therefore they said to him, the people hearing this, hearing Jesus telling them to stop working for this age and start working for the things that matter with faith and your soul and sin and death and hell and final judgment. Jesus is telling them in verse 27 to think about these things. And in verse 28, they say, they respond, well, what shall we do so that we may do the works or we may work the works of God? And Jesus is clear. He doesn't say, well, get, just get your heart right before you continue to do the law. He says to trust the one. He says, literally, Jesus answered and said to them, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. As in, you, you look upon Jesus and you trust that he is the one who was prophesied, his birth foretold, his every covenant pointing to him, that he would be the one to make complete payment on our account. The work of God, according to Jesus in verse 29, the work of God is that you believe in him who he has sent, being explicitly Jesus. That's what God requires from you. A claim of faith is not enough. It's not enough for you to just say that you believe in Jesus. You believe that he exists. Jesus does exist. The demons believe that God exists, probably more than I believe that he exists. 
I'm 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 fully convinced. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm slightly making a joke, but they know because they they are awaiting a judgment and they are they are fully aware of the judgment that's coming against them and they're just buying time. But a claim of faith is not enough. You can't just simply attend church and call yourself a Christian. You can you can do that, but there might have never been a transformation that's taken place in your own life by which you yourself, your friends, the church who you walk with on a regular basis knows that you're living what you're saying you're living. It's easy in our day and age to claim Christ. And, you know, Britney Spears thanks God in all of her album inserts and at some concerts where she's literally proclaiming another, you know, sex cult, uh, she is, she thanks Jesus when she wins her awards. So it's easy. It's really, really easy to say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. It's very easy to do that in America. The reason it's very easy is there's absolutely no persecution against Christians in America. And there will come a day, probably, you know, when, whenever this country runs its final course, whenever God decides to establish another empire on the earth, save Jesus returning, which I think won't be in the next 20 years or anything like that, when we continually press for the authentic claims of the gospel, the measure of opposition to Christians will increase, and therefore the glory and the power that's poured out on the church will also increase because false Christians will no longer attend churches. Now, a way to, to speed up that process for your own life, you know, I always have this mindset that the whole church worldwide would be in revival if every person was in revival. So a way to make sure that you're an authentic Christian, if you doubt your claim that you really believe the things are with Jesus, start sharing the gospel with people and see what you do when they reject you. It's interesting. The faith that saves is accompanied, okay? Faith without works is dead. I am not preaching against works. I'm preaching against you thinking you're justified by your works. I'm preaching against you functioning in life, not even, okay, let's say you've heard these sola sermons, you've, you, you end, we end this series, and you can now regurgitate the doctrines of grace. You're now able to say, well, we're saved by grace through faith, etc., etc. But if you still live in a way where in your heart you approach the Father only after you've done your Bible time to make up for the fact that you just, you know, sinned, you know, got drunk, looked at porn, slept with a girl, whatever, I mean, we all know what we do. You know, if we've got sins in your life, lying, cheating on tests, taking stuff from your employer that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to them, put it, you know, putting a curt word in front of, uh, you know, some person or responding harshly, whatever it is, anything that's not, anything that is sin, doesn't matter how deep the sin is, all sin is sin to God. If you do your Bible reading to get yourself cleaned up after you sinned and you think that God's still against you, then continuing on in your, in your attempts to justify yourself by your works, you won't make it to the end and, and you currently are not even, not even in, in authentic saving faith if that's how you're living. But I'm not advocating stopping spiritual disciplines at all. What I am saying is, you have to get this this right 
This word is a big word. It's impetus. Now I put it on the screen because most of us, maybe some of us know this word. It's one of my favorite words. Impetus means a moving force or an impulse or a stimulus. Another definition is the momentum of a moving body, especially with reference to the cause of motion. That is, there's a cause and there's an effect. The effect in this picture is works of righteousness. That is repentance from sin, reading your Bible, praying, doing good works, sharing your faith, etc. Anything that you can classify as a righteous works, that is the effect. And the cause is important. If you believe that you need to be saved by doing those things, or you are saved by doing those things, then your cause for that is not understanding the gospel. If, however, you understand that you have been granted repentance and salvation by coming to a knowledge of the person of Jesus through the preaching of the authentic gospel clearly laid out in scripture, and from that now now regenerate, reborn, beautiful, full of love heart that Father God has put in you, that new heart and the new spirit, out of that comes your works of, of righteousness, then that cause is fine. That cause is good. In fact, if, if you've got these works, or let's say you just have a claiming faith, but you never actually repent from sin, then that's actually an indicator that there is nothing real on the inside. So I'm not saying that you're not saved necessarily. What I am saying is that it's important to re-examine our foundations It's important to come to an understanding of what the gospel says and check our functional reality, okay? It's easy, again, it's easy for you to hear some sermons about the doctrines of grace and be able to spit out the information, but if there's no transformation in the heart, then the sermons didn't work. Faith and repentance from sin go hand in hand. Another word for impetus is the intention, when, when I repent from sin as a believer who knows that I'm completely justified before God based totally on the work of Jesus on, in my place, when I repent from sin, it's out of love to be restored back to the Father, not continuing fear of damnation, nor is it even trying to clean myself up before I feel good in front of him. As in, I don't, I don't stop praying, I don't try to not get in the presence of God. I don't keep myself at back, you know, at bay during worship. I don't ignore a sermon. I quickly repent from sin, purpose in my heart never to do it again. Ask God for his grace. Ask God for his mercy and understanding his love and seeing the pleasure of, of loving Christ that is greater than the ple- passing pleasure of sin. That's how you repent. You don't repent to get yourself cleaned up. So turning away from sin is called repentance and faith towards Christ is one needle. If you think about it as a speed gauge or a gas gauge, that needle moves together. Okay, you can't have faith towards Christ and still really love your sin. You have to forever forsake your sin. But forsake, attempting to forsake your sin just by a more earnest turning over a new leaf, I'm gonna really stop this addiction, that doesn't get you saved. Okay, you can actually be saved and the addictive problems and sins that you were trapped in before you came to saving faith, they still have a hold and 
the Lord in his mercy through sanctification will break those free over time. And hallelujah that he sometimes takes them, takes certain things away completely when we come to see who Jesus is. But those things, repenting from sin and faith towards Jesus, it is a continuum. But attempting to repent from sin on your own won't get you there. So faith in what? We were talking a lot about faith. We've talked a lot about Jesus. Tim Keller in the book, The King's Cross, it's probably one of the most known quotes from that book. Tim Keller, if you don't know, is a, is a preacher in New York, and he's a part of some of the circles that I'm reading in these days. He says in the book, it's not about, or it is not the quality of your faith that saves you, it's the object of your faith. You can have, Jesus said about faith, that all you needed was faith as a mustard seed. And the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. And it is almost, if I was holding it here and you're, you're sitting there in the pews and I've got it in my fingers. In fact, I have one here and you don't know. It's that, that's how small it is. So you wouldn't be able to see it from far away. And when you are, when Satan comes to you in the night hours or in the dark conversations and accuses you of your sin and you have, even you have trouble seeing your faith, your belief in the claim that Jesus died on your behalf, the, the ability to see how large your faith is, is not, that's not what counts. It's the object of your faith that saves you. We don't get, just get saved by having some beliefs about what the scriptures say to be true. We actually are saved by the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and it's faith upon him and through him that we're saved with. Okay, so the object of our faith is the person of Christ Jesus. He is the anointed one who, is, who was chosen to be the sufficient payment for both our sin that is our, and our sinning. That is our condition and the result of that condition. That person rescues us from darkness and delivers us from all evil. That is what, what it means to have faith on Jesus. It's not just faith in Jesus. It's not just intellectually agreeing to some things that the world doesn't believe. It's actually faith upon him. It's, it's, it's throwing yourself on the rock. Jesus is called the rock in the scripture, the foundation stone, and it is casting yourself on him and trusting him totally. So New Testament conversion. Since we're looking in these sermons about what it means to be saved and the doctrines of salvation, here's my take on what a New Testament conversion looks like, especially for someone who's not already pre-evangelized. As in, in the day of Jesus, they all already believed that God existed because they were God's people. They thoroughly knew that Yahweh was the only eternal created God. So what, it, what does it look like for someone in our culture who may or not know that God exists or may deny that God exists? There's a few steps. I think they're all important. I think they probably happen in the order that I've put here, but not necessarily. They have to be convinced, first of all, of God's existence. They have to understand that God has a law because of who God is, because he's holy and righteous and good, he has a claim about our behavior in our life, and we have to come to understand that we have broken that law. 
So it's not only that God exists, but he has a law, he has a statement about how we should behave, and we have broken that totally. We have to come to an understanding that knowing that we have broken that law results in our condemnation by which in front of a holy God, we cannot stand and deserve punishment. Now, that's the first half. That's the bad news. And you need the bad news before you get the good news. Because if you just get the good news, it won't do anything for you. If you are sharing with a, a brother or sister in the world, uh, or, or brother or sister in the church even, when you preach the gospel to yourself, you have to preach law and grace, law and gospel. Because the gospel is not just the gospel without respect to the law. The law lead is, is a tutor which leads us to Christ, okay? So understanding his willingness to save you, the gospel with the law will result in people coming to understand and the Holy Spirit will move on those who are hearing the sermon or the sharing time that you're doing. You have to see the work of Christ on the cross. You have to see, therefore, you have to see who the person of Jesus is. Seeing that, you renounce all sin, apply that work to, to your own heart. Apply that work simply means looking upon the cross, weighing the scales, being having your eyes being opened by the grace of God to see the depth of your own sin and to see the, the hand that is mercifully extended to you through the work of Jesus. And then you join a group of believers. That is the church. You're filled with the spirit. You live a New Testament lifestyle. Seeing the depth of your sin and the glory of who he is, that ability to see and that ability to trust, that's what faith is. Faith is not just believing some bullet points in a theological textbook. Faith is not just agreeing with some, some things that our worldly friends don't agree with. It, it doesn't mean just taking a leap of faith, just trusting blindly. Faith actually means to have your eyes opened to the fact that before you, your eyes were just opened, you were blind. So, you know, a blind leap of faith is like the worst phrase for a Christian. Faith is God granting you the ability to see Christ as sufficient for your sins. And that alone, his work alone, is what saves you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We do ask that for those of us who have been saved by your grace, we thank you, Lord, for your merciful disposition to us, that you love us that you are favorably positioned toward us. We ask you, God, that you would help us forever function as sons and daughters of you, that we would forever renounce operating in mindsets of righteous works, but that we would operate in a mindset of seeing your love and being having our eyes opened to your your grace for us, and that we would, upon looking upon Jesus, be consumed with love for him. And that would be the cause for all of our life, all of what we do, all of our time, our worship, our energy, that it would be all for love, that it would not be us attempting to 
get ourselves cleaned up before we come to you. Lord, we ask you that we would understand what it means to, by faith, maybe through prayer or reading the word or, or quiet times with you or counseling with pastors or whatever it may be, that we would understand what it means to apply the blood of Jesus to our hearts, having sprinkled it to our hearts by faith, that we would understand what it means for us to throw ourselves upon your mercy and to be fully satisfied with the work of Jesus and not attempt to add to it. And Father, I ask that for those who are not saved, that you would open their eyes to the person of Jesus, that they would see that attending church or reading their Bible more, that that falls short and that only the work of Christ on the cross is sufficient for them. God, we, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for sending your son to die in our place. In Jesus' name, amen.